You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, minding your money to emotional and financial well-being with Cassandra Descent. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I am interviewing someone who I was excited to connect with. I'm interviewing Cassandra Descent. She is a personal finance expert who talks about the things I love talking about, not only just money, but mindset and money, emotional well-being and how important that is for us to connect and focus on. You know, a lot of people I feel like don't talk about it enough. I try to make sure I talk about it enough on my podcast and in my content. And so when I found out that not only Cassandra is like Trinidadian, so hello, what's up, Caribbean Massive? I just felt like this topic is like right up my alley and I just couldn't wait to have her on. So you're in for a special treat because we are going to talk a lot about the emotional awareness that you need to have to make a lasting impact in your relationship with money. So all of us have a relationship with money and an emotional connection to money and our money story. And if we don't fix these money stories, if we don't work on that emotional awareness and connection, it's going to be hard to reach our goals. And by the way, even if you reach your financial goals, you still might feel like a lot is missing because it's not necessarily the end of the journey that matters. I always say this, it's the journey. So Cassandra and I are going to talk about all the things. You're going to really enjoy this episode. But before we hop into this, I have to let you know about the Money Launch Club. So Doors to the Money Launch Club are closing. So if you've been listening to this or if you're listening to this in real time, it's August 21st. That's when this episode comes out. Doors to the Money Launch Club closed on August 22nd. So now is your chance to get in to the Launch Club. Now, just let me tell you what the Launch Club is, just in case you don't know. The Launch Club is an online and sometimes in-person community, membership community, where you find the support, tools, education, and plan to become a master of your money, pay off debt, faster than you ever thought was possible, and you learn to make your money go further. So if you love the Journey to Launch podcast, you love the content that I share here, you're gonna love the Money Launch Club because I'm able to get into more topics, give you more information, and you learn and you are together as a community on this journey. So every month you get group coaching calls with me, expert workshops and classes on various money topics. If you're a fan of the podcast, which I'm assuming you are, if you're listening to this, you get after so chats with podcast guests. You get my Journey to FI 10-step framework. So this is really important. This is a framework that allows you to map out your journey to financial independence. And it's included free in the membership. You get monthly group challenges and accountability with your fellow members. There's a resource library and courses area. We even have a book club and new features are being added constantly. So the Money Launch Club is really your chance to take what you're getting here on the podcast, but implement it in your life, but with support, with me as your guide, with other journeyers who want the same results, who are looking to really get ahead and go through the journeyer stages. This is where you come. So come and join us, moneylaunchclub.com. 
And here is just an audio snippet from Aline, who is a member of the Money Launch Club, and she's going to share how the Money Launch Club has revolutionized her life and finances. Hey, everyone. This is Aline. I can't speak enough about how the Launch Club has impacted my life. I would say the Launch Club have really revolutionized my finances in a few ways. One, I am debt-free. Two, I have maximized my retirement contributions. Three, I found a new job that really accelerated my my income by over 50%. And then four, I have found people in the launch cup that have introduced me to travel miles, travel points, and other things that have made my life better. I am saving now monthly between 30 to 45% of my income. And I also bought a house and I'm saving for my next one. Before I came to Journey to Launch, I had a scarcity mindset, but now I live in an abundance mindset. And so I really want to thank Jamila and I really want to thank my fellow journeyers in the launch club because it is truly a revolutionary experience and I appreciate y'all. Thanks so much, Lean, for sharing your amazing testimony. Once again, now's your chance to join us. Go to moneylaunchclub.com to join or wherever you're listening to this. If you're listening to this in a player, Apple Pod or Android podcast player you should have a description where you'll see money launch club um just directly go there and come join us all right so now getting back a bit to cassandra i'm really looking forward for you to hear this episode cassandra is actually going to come in to the launch club so i usually do a speaker series in the launch club an expert speaker series and so she's coming in in september to do a class i'm so excited about that and you'll hear you'll hear why why i feel like everyone needs to basically follow and listen closely to what Cassandra and I are talking about because it's so key and so instrumental to your success on this journey. All right. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Cassandra. Hey, journeyers. So today we have on the show Cassandra Descent, and we're going to be talking about an important subject or overlying theme, right? So we're going to get into Cassandra's story about how she paid off $55,000 of debt but with that, how she evolved mentally and and just improved her mindset like around money and what she focuses on with her content a lot is our relationship with money, the psychology around our decisions and our behaviors around money. So I'm really excited to talk to you, Cassandra. And you're from Trinidad. So what's up, Caribbean pa- Massive? <laughs> yes, yes. Trini Posse represent. Anyway, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just jump right in. So you were at one point in a lot of debt and you since got out of it. It almost seems like some of your story, I feel like closely related to mine's in the sense that you had a stable job, but you were not happy. It actually caused you a lot of anxiety and it led to some depression. So I want to get into that because I feel like there's so many people walking around with that yes, and, yes. you know, they don't, they can't name it. They don't know what it is. They're unhappy and like what to do about that. We're going to get into all that, but let's first start about your backstory. So you are born in Trinidad and you said you grew up in Canada. Yeah. I spent the majority of my life living in Montreal, Quebec. So I left Trinidad when I was at the age of six with my mother. So she actually immigrated to Canada three years before I did. So she made a huge sacrifice by leaving me behind in order to pave a way and create that opportunity for me to be able to, to land in Montreal. So the major key of the backstory is honoring my mother. And she's a huge reason for why I'm able to 
be in this point in my life today without her making the needed sacrifices and making a choice at the end of the day. You know, she had me when she was 40, which was very late in life. She had other other children long, long before. So she didn't have to have me. So making that conscious choice to say, you know what, I want my child and I'm going to do whatever it takes for her to not only survive, but thrive. I owe everything to her. So I just wanted to like lay that out there first and foremost. And I can totally relate to that. My mom, same thing. She, she, had me in Jamaica. She was only 20, but she had to leave me behind also for like at nine months. Um, so I, she came up here and paved the way for me to come. So I totally get that affinity and just in like, uh, love and respect for a, a mother that can do that, that kind of sacrifice. Cause as a mom myself, I'm just like, wow, like that was a lot. So I totally get it. Absolutely. It was very tough. So I grew up in a actually predominantly white environment. Actually, a lot of Jewish people went to elementary school that was I think I was, if not the first West Indian child of color, I was just a handful. So it was a huge adjustment for me coming from a West Indian culture, you know, having to not only adopt a new environment, but a new language, because in Quebec, you have to speak French. So I'm fluently bilingual as a result, which is a blessing. But at the time, it was very difficult for me because I didn't have anyone at home to practice with. So that was already laying the groundwork for me to be very industrious you know, very uh, go-getter, do what I need to do, you know, not rely on anybody, right? So, you know, but that can also cause you problems. And it did. (laughs) Let's fast forward a little bit. As I said, I grew up with my mom and she struggled. You know, we were a very low-income household for a long time. And she worked, you know, the side hustle before it became on Vogue. And she was often gone because she had to provide for me. So, I looked at the situation from a lens that I never wanted. I never want to grow up and live like this. I want to do whatever it takes to have whatever money I need to do whatever I want. That was my mindset, you know, as a child growing up. So I went to school, went to university. I didn't graduate in part because the attraction of money. I felt that I could get ahead by giving up school and getting a job, which I did. So at the age of 22, I got my first full-time job. And um, it was at a call center. And it was, I think, 32000 at the time. Um, so not bad money. And then on the side, I was hustling. I was modeling part-time. I was a commercial model. So making $100 an hour at that age. Yeah. So, I, you know, I wasn't doing badly, but I had no real financial background to take that money and create wealth with it. I had no idea what wealth meant because I had no reference point. I grew up in an environment where literally every dollar was hard fought. So, and I felt that another part of the story was the extension of, because I felt that money was a reflection of me, my self-worth got entangled into this concept of being able to show people that I was successful and I did it through money, through possessions, through buying. And then I began to overextend myself from a credit perspective and started really relying on credit. So my paycheck would just be going, hitting the bank, going to pay off cards or going to pay off my car loan. You know, everything was, I was trying to live an adult life, yet I was still thinking as a child. That was really the basis of me starting to get into a decade's worth of debt accumulation, because this didn't happen overnight. This wasn't just a couple credit cards gone wrong. This was a very long-term gradual buildup into a financial firestorm. Mm, yeah, what a great backstory because the self-worth thing, I think, trips up a lot of people because 
especially growing up without that foundation and connection to the internal worth that you have, you can mistake that the material things equate that. And then you start chasing the wrong thing. And it's not to say if you have those things or you want those things that you don't, you know, like it's wrong. Right. It's more of right. recognizing that you're not trying to like cover something up or prove something to someone else um, is important. So, all right. So, and so you didn't graduate from college, right? No. So I went back, I did a certificate in human resources. I actually was accepted into university as a music major and psychology major, but I didn't finish. And uh, later on with one of my employers, they paid 100% for me to go back to university and get my certificate in HR. Then I went on to change careers a couple of times. So I was a credit analyst, a commercial credit analyst for a very long time, which actually in relation to my credit problems is such a dichotomy because here I am managing multi-million dollar portfolios for corporations and I am completely unsuccessful in my own personal life, right? So there's there's that. But then I managed to leapfrog and overcome under earning and got into the field of STEM. Again, no degree, right? But I leveraged my abilities, my skills, and I think my greatest strength is to be able to learn. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to absorb information and process it and then be able to use that to further myself, right? Mm. So yeah, then I ended up in EDI, which is electronic data interchange, which is, you know, transactional information through technology. And then in the past few years, I went into software engineering. So my last career was as a software engineer and a software program manager, project manager. Wow. Yeah. So school is great. School is not for everyone. And I like to put that out that, that we have options, you know, I value education, but education doesn't necessarily need to be in a classroom. Mm, yeah. A lot of people learn I'm like this. I learn doing the work by action. And it sounds like, and this is really great to hear that the way you elevated yourself, you took every opportunity and you leveraged it and you helped it create another opportunity. You created your own opportunities. It seems like, like you said, you were very industrious and resourceful, right. which allowed you to then, and I love when you said you overcame under earning. Yes. Because a lot of people are stuck in this under earning phase and they're just like, well, like, you know, I don't know how to, you know, get out of it. Or they're looking at, you know, maybe one path and there's so many other paths, like opportunities available to them. They just have to think outside the box and use what they have. And it's, it's apparent that learning for you was that. And it didn't even have to be in like, you know, a traditional college setting, like at 18 or 19, it was like learning all along the way, taking advantage of employer sponsored education. So that's amazing. Yeah, that that's essentially, you know, what helped me to put myself in a better financial position. But, you know, if I were to backtrack and start talking about how I realized, okay, I'm 10 years in and I've got $55,000 of debt. Oh, my God. So what was that from? So the breakdown basically was credit cards. It was a car loan. And it was a very, very ill-advised business loan to someone who was starting a project so I borrowed against my credit to help fund his venture. And it turned out to be a disaster because it ended up in litigation. It was a whole bunch of us that he scammed, basically. So he actually fled the country. He's somewhere in Guinea, Africa, I believe. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. But karma's interesting, I can tell you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, so long story short, that was the sum of my debt. So that equaled about 55000 But the large portion was credit card and car loan. And we're very smart. You're, you are very smart and you worked in credit, but then professionally you were able to manage or handle and analyze other situations and money. But personally, you were not able to do that. And, you know, you'd be surprised like how many people I've come across 
that are very smart. Like, you know, like it's not about being smart, um, but their personal finances are a mess and they're in the financial field. I actually just got off an interview with someone who said that her father was a lawyer, but he died without a will. You know, it just shows you that the problem is deeper. You don't have to be good with numbers to be good with your money. You know, like these misconceptions about, oh, you know, I don't understand things. It's okay. Cause even the people who understand things don't do the right thing. <laughs> Exactly. You know, we're don't don't feel bad the fact that you've made mistakes and you should know better. We we all do things that we should know better about, yet we still do it. So that's where again I really emphasize the concept of self-awareness and emotional intelligence and actually learning what that means because a lot of us are just reacting as opposed to sitting still and doing some self-introspection. We're, we're too focused on trying to fix solutions with external, external methods and mediums. Like, for example, you're in debt. Okay. Well, I need to do a debt snowball and I need to strip apart my spending. Yes. All of these things are integral to your success. But if you're doing all these things yet, you still haven't resolved the backstory and the roots that's driving you to do these things, then you are likely to fail or you are likely to succeed for a, a short time and then experience recidivism. And that's something that we often don't talk about in the personal finance community is falling back. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's why, you know, I know everyone wants to get to the action, earning more and optimizing expenses, right? Like, and those are all important. Of course. But the habits and behavior and mindset, and it all starts with your mindset. And people are just like, oh, but that's not the fun thing. It's like, oh, you mean I have to sit and write down and journal or really think back to like what caused my behavior? And it's like, they don't really want to do that. But like you said, it's just, if you don't, temporarily it fixes the problem, but really ultimately you can, you can fall right back into those habits and behaviors that got you there in the first place. Right. And then the other thing is that even if you were to succeed and get out of debt, but for me, debt is actually just the equalizer. That is just ground zero in terms of what wealth creation really means. So what do you mean by debt is the equalizer? We're so fixed on, okay, let's get out of debt and let's save, right? Those are important pillars, right? But that only keeps you at a certain level in terms of your financial ability to really make changes in your life. If you're looking to elevate yourself financially, that is just the first step, honestly, in my book when it comes to growing your wealth. And if you feel that, okay, well, I've made it since I paid off my debt and I'm saving and I'm investing and then that's it. I'm like, if you're happy with that, I can't say anything against that. But if you're looking to really create wealth, generational wealth, wealth that you can give to your children, to yourself, to others, that's not going to cut it. So that's what I mean by that's just an equalizer. That's just, that's just the the first step in my opinion. Okay. See, I feel like, I mean, you must be reading my mind um, because (laughs) these are the concepts and things I talk about. um, So with Launch Club and so I'm building out a framework and really the same thing. Like there's levels to reaching financial independence and complete financial freedom. I mean, but I do believe you unlock levels of freedom along the way, but you're totally right where, and I love, I mean, listen, I'm in the personal finance space and like, I love it. Right. And I find that a lot of platforms, which is good, like I have nothing against this, but a lot of the focus is on paying off debt. And I get it because that is the first step for a lot of people. So you don't necessarily want to overwhelm them with, okay, well now let's think about financial independence and retiring early. And then when you dig deeper and when you get into this, you realize that that is like literally like the beginning of your journey, but there's so much more that you can do after that. So I love that you said it in that way. Yeah. Like I'm actually releasing a, a program later this year. It's it's called EQ Your Way to Wealth, right? 
And it does like you, you know, you unlock levels. It really is about level, keeping on leveling up because at the end of the day, if, if you've got base goals that you've now achieved and you have nothing new to aspire to, you're starting to stagnate and you never want to stagnate with your money. In terms of the relationship with your money, it's like any other type of relationship. You want to evolve that. You want to grow that. You want to see that multiply and prosper. And if you're not continually putting action to it and, and driving, creating new goals to replace the goals that you've just completed, you remain stagnant. And that's not what we want for ourselves. Right. So you were in that debt. What caused you to say, wait a second, I need to get out of this. And how did you get out of that debt? Sure. So I I married young. I married at the age of 24 and I divorced in 2006. So with that, I started to feel a little more pressure, right? Because now you're down to one income. I, I'm now financially single at that point. So fast forward to 2009, where I realized that, okay, I, I'm looking at my credit statements. I'm at the max on everything. And I am now looking at the potential of maybe missing payments. I'd never, that's one thing. I'd always been responsible, always made my minimums, you know, never got into trouble when it came to late payments or non-payments. But now I'm seeing that the potential is there, that I am severely exceeding my income. You know, I have more owing than my income at that point. So I had to really step back and say, okay, I cannot continue to live like this. Like this is not beneficial to me anymore. And then I started to question myself and I did the thing that most people are having a hard time doing, which is sitting still. I call it sitting with your pain and processing. How is this really making me feel? I felt shame. I felt embarrassment. My mother wasn't proud of me at that point because she had did her best to at least teach me the concept of living below your means. And I hadn't even managed to do that. Elena, like you alluded to, like intelligence, we can be super intelligent and be extremely careless with our personal life. And I was being careless. So I decided, okay, I need to unravel what this all means. And then I did the emotional labor. I did that strip away myself and ask me, who am I without money? Why am I doing this to myself with money? And in a sense, I'm, I'm punishing myself. So I really had to strip myself bare. And come to a point where I'm like, okay, now I know what I've done. Take responsibility for what I've done. Don't blame anybody else for what I've done. Because at the end of the day, I made these decisions. I made these choices. And I can no longer even excuse that I didn't know better. I did know better at the end of that period that I wasn't doing right with myself or my money. So when I created a system of accountability for myself and honored that and then forgave myself, because that's another issue is that. Uh, many of us, we make mistakes and we still hold on to them. We say that we've forgiven ourselves, but we really haven't because that shows up in your now current actions with your money. So I had to forgive myself for mistreating myself through money and then realize, make that separation of my self-worth and my net worth. I really had to make that distinction that I am not the sum of my bank balance. I am not the sum of my credit score. I'm not entangled with this concept of money. I am in control of money, but I don't want to let money control me. So that was the mental framework I had to start establishing to, in order to create the change that I wanted to see. If I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you with a, a significant six-figure net worth with, and we've maintained being debt-free for almost six years. So, and I love that you talked about the mental work 
right? Because it's like saying, saying tutor, like what we're talking about, you do that mental and emotional work first before the action, right? So with that, after you did that emotional mental work, what were some of the action steps that you did? Did you like start budgeting? Did you cut things out? Did you get really intense with like, okay, I'm focused on paying off this debt? So I, I, I use what I call a multi-pronged strategy. So I went to town on my expenses. I went down to 50% of my spending. The other 50% went to debt. How I did that was to eliminate my busy, busy, biggest expense, which was my household. So I was renting a condo at the time, which was, you know, over a thousand dollars a month. So and, and in Montreal relative, that was kind of expensive. So half that by giving up my condo and renting as a roommate for the first year. Now, I don't know about your listeners, but for me personally, that was extremely humbling because again, you're looking at what are people going to say? People's perception, they're going to judge you, you know? And I had put myself out there as this, I got this life, like, you know, and now it's people are saying like, my member, my coworker is like, are you serious? Like, are you sure, Cassandra? Because we know you. I'm like, I have to do something drastic. If I'm serious about getting out of this debt and I want it out quickly, you know, my original plan was five years to pay it off and I did it in three and a half. So I was serious. And so that was a huge thing for me, a humbling um, piece of pie I ate. And that was just you by yourself at that point doing this? Yeah. At this, and funny enough, I had met my now husband in the same year, but he never kicked in a dime. I never wanted him to. So he was moral support. But financially, I did this on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so then obviously, I started to to learn the concept of values based spending, conscious spending, you know, aligning your spending with your values and what really matters to you. And so I started to practice that the side hustles, you know, redirected bonuses, any tax refunds, any extra money was not mine anymore. It was going to this debt. And that made me angry. But again, leverage your negative emotions into action. Negative emotions in itself is not bad, right? I teach people that, yes, have your 15 minute pity pity party when things aren't going right. Or, you know, you have to give up, you know, hundreds of dollars that you could have spent on a nice dinner out, but use that to fuel something positive. And that's what I was doing. I was just using multiple ways to, as fuel to get me further in my goal faster. Yeah. I, I love that. You like channel that negative emotion and also like so many people want to be debt free. Okay. They say they want to be debt free. They say they want to reach some um, financial freedom and independence and all these things. Right. But something has to give with their life. Right. Because literally like no one's going to give you the money and you're probably not going to win the lottery. But if you then if you look at it that in that way, it's your income or your expenses. So you have to do something. If you're not at the point to right away increase your income, because that can take a little bit more strategy and time. Right. But so then your next focus is expenses. And I find that a lot of people don't want to do the hard the things that will move them forward. They don't want to do it. No, they don't. <laughs> I see it all the time in my practice. I see it all the time with just discussing with people and they'll say that, oh, you know, they'll complain, complain, complain. And then when I give them, you know, here's what I see with your picture, what you could immediately do to net you, you know, and they're like, oh, no, but I can't. No, no, you choose not to at the end of the day. It's not that you can't, you don't want to. So yeah, on top of that, and what made this even more crucial for me to accomplish was that, as I mentioned, I met my now husband and we began a long distance relationship for the first four plus years. 
So at the time, he was um, a, a U.S. resident in New York, but was splitting his time between Trinidad and New York. So we're both we're both Trinis. So the fact that I didn't have money to really visit him at the time, he was rebuilding his career in the United States. So he didn't have a lot of money. We weren't seeing each other maybe every three months or so. So that was another reason, a motivation was that if we were going to go the distance as a couple and we thank God we have, I had to get rid of this debt. Like I drew a line in the sand between my past and my present and future. I saw my future, which included my husband. I wanted us to start on a clean slate. And that meant not bringing in the burden of my debt. So I was able to accomplish that. We got married in Central Park on October 27th, 2012. And I became debt-free November 21st, 2012. So just a month later. So You need to have a goal, but you need to have an identity for that goal, which is its reward. And for me, that reward was being able to start a new life, a new life chapter without the burden of my past. Right. Love, love, love that. Now, while you so you paid off your debt, um, but you were still working. And this kind of leads into the part of your story where you were feeling overworked mentally and emotionally. You were not healthy. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that and then what led you to then quit your job? Sure. We have a lot of responsibilities and I'll bring up the concept of black tax. And I am a long distance caregiver to my mother who still lives in Montreal. She's 81. My husband is a long distance caregiver to his mother who is in New York City. We have our son, my stepson, who lives in Trinidad. So we support him. So with all of these financial pressures and responsibilities, yeah. Now, I just want to stop you because you, you talked about black tax and I want to hear more of that. But let's just go back and talk about what that is. Just the case, because I know what it is. Most people may know, but some might not. So let's just define that. So black tax is if you are a person of color, black person, and you have done well for yourself in your career, you're now able to afford, you know, you're making good five figures, six figures. And then you are now feeling the pressure of family support, whether if it's overseas or literally next door. You've got family members who are not doing as well and they see you as a, I don't want to say as a, a, a negative term as a bank, but in a way, yes, you become the ne- the family bank of support and it creates a lot of strain on your personal relationships as a result. And it creates a lot of pressure because now you are now not only having to support your own household, but you're now looking at potentially providing financially and emotionally to some degree for other households as well. Mm, yeah. So thank you for stepping back and explaining that part. And so now you're saying for you in this situation, you have all these responsibilities you and your husband outside of yourself. Exactly. Managing all, all, all of that and then managing a career. So I'm, I'm not now working as a credit analyst. Now I'm, as I said, I mentioned, I'm in the field of software engineering where the pace is quick. I'm traveling often to sites, working 14, 16 hour days to ensure implementations are going well. And then what happened was that about a year into my last job, my mother got really sick and she at that point was staying with us. We were living in Michigan at the time and we had to airlift her back to Montreal for care because she's not a U.S. resident. So there's no way we're going to spend the care cost in the United States. Right. This is where healthcare really is a huge concern. So we ended up airlifting her back to Montreal and that began the new chapter in life of being this long distance caregiver where I was literally flying back every six weeks to make sure that she was recovering, finding her a new residence to live and getting 
used to this new dynamic of being the parent. I am now the parent of my mother. And there is this the role reversal that it's difficult to navigate. So that was very stressful. I couldn't sleep very much because I was constantly worrying about her and her well-being when I wasn't in Montreal. Then also my mother-in-law has her health issues as well, worrying about her. Then making sure that I'm still a rock star performer, right? Because I set the bar high. I'm a female team lead, the only black female team lead engineer, I, I think across the country in my division. So I felt this pressure to make sure I was performing. I'm a wife. My husband is a, a sound engineer. He's often on tour. So a lot of the burden fell on me physically to make sure everything's okay with the house. Everything's okay with the parents. We're good with, with the cash flow because I'm the CFO of the family. At some point, you're going to break if you don't be proactive and manage your mental health because mental health is a form of wealth. It's one of what I consider the four pillars of wealth, mental, spiritual, physical, and financial. And I was lacking sorely in my mental well-being because I was taking care of everybody else's mental well-being. So I reached a point in late 2018 where I signaled to my manager that I don't think this is working anymore, you know, and kudos to, to them. They did everything in their power to ensure I stayed an employee. They tried to remove some workload off me, but it wasn't working because I was handling some of the largest customers for the company and the customers didn't want anybody else stepping on the projects. So, you know, I didn't have the room to really breathe. And then finally I said, I'm going to quit. They're like, no, 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 you can't quit. Let's see if we can give you like a two month leave of absence. I'm like, okay. So then I spoke with the HR in, in our company and she is one, she's a rare bird because she told me, she was the first one to tell me that she's like, you're experiencing beyond burnout from what you're telling me. She's like, you don't need a leave of absence. You need a medical leave of absence. Because I was going to just take a two months regular straight leave of absence and call that good. And she was the first one to kind of clue me in and make me start to realize that, no, this is much deeper than you think it is. And you need to seek help. And that was, I, I can't remember her name, but she gave me a gift that day. So I'm like, okay, well, I'd never really filled out disability and all that kind of stuff. And I, for, again, sense of shame because I didn't want to admit that something was wrong with me. So I went through the process and that meant that I had to go see a doctor. So now I'm forced to go make an appointment. I went to um, a nurse practitioner and that day, I think I wrote about this in my blog. I cried three years of tears in that one session because she gave me the grace and space to feel safe enough to reveal what was really going on in my mind. Wow. Yeah. And for black people, I want to encourage, especially black women, but black people, it, there is no shame in admitting when you're suffering and that you need help. And we've been programmed. I know you're, you're West Indian. I'm West Indian. We have been programmed to be strong. That's, that's the mantra. We just push on, push through. But at what price? And I was really losing myself through all this process. I had stopped singing. I had stopped being active. I was gaining weight. I had stopped being kind to the, the people I love the most. And I really did not realize until looking back now that I really changed as a woman, as a partner, as a, as a daughter, that all those relationships were starting to fail. And I had to really take a step back. And through this whole process, um, I was able to 
reclaim myself and my spirit. Mm. And so you got like help, right? Yeah. So you, you realized that you were depressed. Yeah. I was diagnosed with severe depression. Yeah. And anxiety. Right. And this is just like life, right? Like this, these are all contributing factors because eventually, right, this does impact your financial and life journey because you take a leave and then you didn't go back, right? Right. So, you know, for some, your mental state can manifest in immediate ways, such as your spending, your spending starts to increase, you know, you're mindlessly spending or you are hoarding money or whatever that case is. But for mine, how it manifested was I lost income. So that now stalled my potential progress to financial independence is that I'm now giving up money in exchange for the time to heal. And that was a very significant choice for me because that time is what allowed me to really realize that I'm meant to be doing something else, which is what I'm, what I'm doing right now. So through that whole experience, I gained clarity. I gained purpose. I gained the courage to make different decisions and to start to honor myself in a more authentic and real way. And by then you'd paid off all your debt, right? Oh yeah. This happened just in 2018. My debt's been paid off since 2012. So we only have a mortgage that we maintain, but keep in mind, we have high expenses because of all the support. Right. So what I did was that after we paid off the debt, we reinforced our emergency fund. You know, we have about eight months worth of expenses. Now, keep in mind that took years to build. This is not an overnight process. We started investing very late in life. What I consider late is late thirties, you know, due to, due to all these, these factors coming together. So we have to now play catch up and invest more than the standard 10, 15% or even 20%. I was, you know, we were doing 30, 40% when we could. All these things prepared me to be able to say, we are in a healthy enough position that I can take the step back and really evaluate what's next for me, that we don't have that pressure of having to get another job or having to work part-time or whatever the case is. I That's a luxury, but we created that luxury. It didn't just happen out of nowhere. And it's so important because this is what this journey is all about. And while we did say that that debt freedom stage is like one of the first steps, it's an important step still because while you not have reached your ultimate goal and I've not reached my ultimate goal of, you know, never having to work again or reaching financial independence, but getting your finances in order, paying off debt, if you didn't pay off your debt or if you didn't have your finances in order and that happened on top of everything, right? Like yeah. you wouldn't have the space to say, okay, I can like take a break, you know, or it'd even be more burdensome, like with your, when your mind and heart. So I feel like this is why it's so important that the end goal is important. That's what you're working towards, but do not forsake like where your, your footsteps now, because each step forward will put you in a position to have options, to have pow- a power about it. Right. Exactly. This gives you greater control. It, as you said, it, it gives you options. It gives you the ability to begin to create a life of your own design. It may not seem like that when you're in the middle of, of paying down debt and you're struggling because, you know, you get setbacks. But down the line, you'll start to see how those pieces fall into place and how they've enabled you to get to this point where you can sit back and say, OK, I don't have to do this. I can choose to do something else or start to plan to do something else. And that's the beauty of what the cycle of money and and, and what building real wealth is all about. And so it gave me the time and space to rebuild my mental wealth in order for me to now be, and now I'm fully healthy 
to now get back on the path of continuing my financial journey. So this is why I, I want to impress upon your listeners that it's a holistic approach to wealth and understanding that if you are not doing well in one or more areas, it will affect the other pillars. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you made sacrifices up front. You moved into a smaller place. You know, you gave up things short term. Then some of these things that, you know, you may have to do that you don't want to do that's super uncomfortable. It's temporary. Exactly. It's not going to be forever. And whatever feeling, right, whether that's that shame or embarrassment or just like, wow, like maybe that first initial thought of, okay, I have to like move back in with my parents or I need to like rent out. I spoke to and think this podcast just came out um, where the guy he's renting out. This is Charlie from episode 102. Um, he's renting out or his main like living area and he moved into like the smaller room or the basement or something. I can't remember, but it's almost just like, yes, but it's temporary because now if you didn't do all those things in the beginning, you wouldn't have now the ability to get back to your purpose, to find your calling, to address your mental health and to really like live life fully. So it's temporary guys, like these short-term sacrifices. Yeah. It's really just for a moment in time. And if you are able to really fixate yourself on, you know, the end game and, and what that really means for you, not just the financial benefits, but really like the, the life benefit. What are you really gaining from this? Like for now I'm able to fly and, you know, meet my husband when he's on tour. You know, we have the financial ability and I have the time to do that. And I'm running my business from a laptop world being able to go visit my mom literally on any moment's notice. That's a gift. If that I was able to set myself up to reach this point in life, that's a blessing, but I'm not done, right? It doesn't end here. I've got other goals that I want to achieve and I've got other priorities that I, uh, that I have to focus on too. So it, it's just a continual progression in terms of your financial wealth. That's what I really want to impress upon people. It doesn't stop. It never stops. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned in one of your blog posts is that, and I'll link all the blog posts that I went through that I really liked in the episode show notes was, and you talked about this, is about the self-worth and net worth like connection and that the mental fortitude it takes to build wealth is like the real wealth, um, is that internal wealth. And I always say this is like the person you become. So when people say, oh, you know, stop telling people not to like get coffee or to cut out little expenses, it's only a dollar, it's not going to do anything. And the way I look at it is it's like, yeah, technically it might not be about the dollar or $2. It's really not. It's about the person you become by being able to consciously make choices now where you can say to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to buy that Starbucks because this is what that equates for me. Like it develops this, this habit, this conscious spending, this value spending that you talk about. And yeah, it might be only a couple of dollars, but it translates into other areas of your life. So no, it's not about just like, oh, who cares about saving $10 on coffee? That's not the point. It's about the person you become when you do that. Exactly. It's it's really about building yourself as, let's come back to who are you? What are you about? What are you looking to achieve? You know, the who, what, where, why, and how of your life. Start thinking of it in terms of that, you know, start shaping your behaviors, your actions, your choices with money surrounding the essence of you. What are you looking to accomplish in your world? What are you looking to help others accomplish in the process of you being a better person? So the latte factor, yes. On one hand, do I have lattes? Sure. If do I want to, can I increase my income in order to afford them more? Sure. But let's take income out of the equation for a second. Let's say you never had the opportunity to increase your income ever again. Okay. What are you going to do with the income that you have currently today? 
Are you honoring really your goals and your values through your spending? And that's a very personal choice. I'm not going to come and tell you what you should and should not buy because what matters to you may not matter to me. But what I do want everyone to be aware of is that you at the end of the day have a lot more control than you think. Okay. I understand systemically we are oppressed. People oppress us. But the one thing that no one has on you and has over you is your mind. You control your thoughts. You control the decisions that arise as a result of your thinking. So if you can really lock into that, honest, your life will change and in ways that you really cannot. I could not imagine that I would be where I am today as a result of these choices. Honestly, it's not like I'm a savant. I could look ahead, you know, three, six years to see that today would be where I am. But this is just proof of what you can do when you set your mind to something. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful. And I'm telling, I always say this, everybody that I've spoken to that have reached some level of success, it doesn't have to be ultimate financial independence, but most every guest has that mindset, that growth mindset, the self-responsibility, no matter where they're like from or what they've been through. And this does not discount, you know, what people have been through. Like we get it. Life is hard. Life is tough. There, Things are not fair. But what are you going to do about it, right? Like you can only control your own actions, your, men- your mind, your behavior, your household. So even if you didn't grow up in a household that talked about money, that taught you about wealth, you create that that nucleus and that environment for your family now. And so I just, I love when, um, you know, people get that and like, and, and share that because that's what it's all about. And so one of the things I did want to end on with you, because again, this is like some really great information. I really hope you guys are like taking notes and you listen to this a couple of times, but we talked about this a lot and maybe you mentioned some of these points already, but cultivating a mindset of wealth. Yeah. Let's just go through a couple of points so we can leave people with like some actionable things they can do right now. Like as soon as they turn off the podcast um, to like start cultivating wealth. Sure. So one of the things that I am going to offer in my EQ, your way to wealth program is the ability to assess yourself. So assessing yourself and the tool that I recommend and that I show people how to work through is called the SWOT analysis, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But I put it from a financial perspective. So that allows you to not only in, you know, assess what are you good at? What's working for you? But also look at the threats and the weaknesses that you have and find ways to mitigate that risk. Look ahead and see what can affect your progress and how you could prevent that from happening or lessen the impact of that happening. So it's actually being proactive about creating wealth, about building your wealth and how and just even getting to financial stability, because we always talk about wealth, but there's levels, like we said, and creating financial stability is in part about assessing you as a person and assessing your situation. So those are the first two things I would suggest. Assess you, assess your situation. And the most important thing is you need to create the environment for your frame of mind to support your new choices, your new decisions, your success. Because again, if you're operating from place of just putting things in practice or putting things in motion to to help you physically get that progress, but from a mental, spiritual, even physical way, you're not supporting the changes that you're looking to implement, you're not going to thrive. It's not going to work. And then I talk about the seven tenets of wealth and I'll run through them really quickly. Yeah. The first is I believe that I deserve to be wealthy. The second is I know why I want to be wealthy. The third is I believe that it is good to be wealthy. 
The fourth is that I refuse to allow past mistakes to deny me the right to be wealthy. The fifth one is that I know what it takes to be wealthy. Six is I know how it feels to be wealthy. Because that's a thing that people don't know what it feels like to be wealthy. And I can tell you, I am a wealthy person. I know what it feels to be wealthy. And I want that for others to understand and experience. And the last one is I will encourage and educate others to be wealthy. Because once you begin to possess wealth, I believe in you need to share that, like how you're doing with your podcast, how you're doing with your programs. This is not something that we should contain and keep guarded for ourselves. We have that responsibility to share that wealth that we have now learned and earned. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much, Cassandra. This was excellent. Tell people where they can keep up with you and find out more about you. Sure. So you can find me on my website, which is CassandraDason.com, K-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A-D-A-S-E-N-T. And on Twitter, Instagram, handle is that at Cassandra Dason. I also am on Facebook at Minding Your Money KD. And soon I'll be on YouTube. I'm looking to expand and, and, and get on YouTube. So you'll find me there also at Cassandra Dason. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Cassandra, again, for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jamila. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cassandra. What did I tell you? I mean... We really went deep in terms of the emotional connection that you have to work on when it comes to your money. It's not all about the dollars and cents. I know that's what we all want. And that's like the first thing people will focus on is like, how do I make more money? How do I spend less money? And while you may be able to accomplish those like wins really quickly, they won't be sustainable and you still won't be happy unless you fix or work on that emotional connection. And I hope you're getting a lot from this talk with Cassandra. If you wanted the episode show notes, you can go to episode 114. That's journey to launch.com slash episode 114. There you're here. Just, you know, any of the episode notes that we said or any links, you'll be able to find them in the episode show notes. Also, before I forget, and you know, I don't want you to miss out doors for the money launch club are closing. They're closing in just a couple of days. So if you want to join us, come on in. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Cassandra is going to be doing a class in the Money Launch Club. And I bring in expert speakers all the time in the Launch Club. So not only am I teaching content, but I love to bring in people and showcase people who I know have a lot of value and basically talk about the things that I know my members, I know you need to hear. And so she's going to be coming in in September. That's going to be fun. And then in terms of just everything, just all the amazing content and resources that you get. I mean, this is I, I, this is something I wish I had when I was starting out. So again, if you want to join us, go to moneylaunchclub.com. All right, journeyers, until next week, keep on journeying. Mm-hmm.